the cost of living crisis is the uh, is, is the phrase of the day, and uh, we are starting to see a um, an increasing a number of uh, regulatory moves to try and deal with or relieve some of that crisis. It's quite interesting that when all this is going on, and you've got the cost of living crisis and lots of speculation about where various things are going. That the um, that the financial policy committee comes out and says, actually, we've done this review and we've done a consultation. We're going to remove this um, affordability yeah. text that we introduced in 2014 because actually we don't need it anymore. Hi, and welcome to Grant Thornton's Risk and Regulation Unraveled podcast, where, uh, as usual, uh, I, David Moy, am joined by Gavin Stewart. Say hi, Gavin. Hi there. Uh, and we're going to take our monthly ramble through emerging, developing stories in the world of financial services regulation and try and make, make some sense of it. We're recording this just after the latest inflation figures came out and uh, a new record has been set, or at least a 40-year record has been set. So so this is, I think, going to be characterised as a cost of living podcast, a bit like we had all those COVID podcasts for however many years it was, um, where, where there was a, obviously a consistent theme. You know, cost like of 35, living. I think. That's it, yeah, it seemed like it. Cost of living appears to be the uh, the, the theme du jour, so um, it will feature not the only thing we'll talk about, uh, you know, the regulatory responses to, to the cost of living crisis, but we'll, um, uh, it will certainly be featuring what to expect from this, this month. Well, it's, it's been a bit of a hodgepodge time month. I know cost of living is going to feature fairly centrally to what we're covering. Um, but uh, there's been a bit of scattergun across things like critical third parties, uh, our various news stories, such as Credit Suisse landing up on the watch list, uh, a couple of speeches to cover. Um, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna jump we're gonna jump around across across all of those areas um, and hopefully cover the major developments in the last month. But first off, Gavin, I wanted to ask you when well, last we spoke, you were heading off to a, a weekend wedding. Uh, how was that? Was it being out and about? Was that good? It was brilliant, actually. It feels like half a lifetime ago. Um, but yes, it was in Bath. It was lovely in Bath Abbey. Um, Is there any truth to the rumour that the uh, the Brighton group said, "Don't bother with presents; just bring a cherry cherry can of petrol"? No. Okay. I'm not sure Jane Austen would have approved. <laughs> Probably not. Not not a great idea in a listed building either. Um, uh, well, cost of living uh, was certainly a feature in the Viking Festival, which I attended. Uh, I attended after we last spoke as well. Um, uh, the uh, although they haven't uh, they haven't raised the prices of axes, which is what I was worried about, but they have they, they have downgraded the quality, so they you can they can only buy and sell blunt ones these days. So that's that's either a cost of living reflection or it's it's health and safety gone mad. I don't know. It's it's uh, it was a, it was a thing certainly. Um, so the uh, the cost of living crisis, I think that that's now a, a branded trademark, isn't it? Cost of living crisis. That's that's what we have to call it. Inflationary crisis. I'm not sure, but cost of living crisis is the uh, is is the phrase of the day, and uh, we are starting to see a um, an increasing a number of uh, regulatory moves um, to try and deal with or relieve some of that crisis. Um, one of the things that's happened in the, in the past week is is the, um, the, the well, the government's been talking about trying to make mortgage borrowing easier. Um, and the FSB has, has, has removed one of its affordability tests. So this is a stress test that lenders have to do to, to try and determine whether you know the, the, what, the, what the risk of default might be in stressed in stressed circumstances. So essentially, it's it's making it easier for them to lend. Um, it hasn't quite got to the FCA in terms of them dialing back any of their sort of conduct related affordability 
tests. Um, but but is that the, is that the direction of travel? What, what are we looking at here, Gavin? Um, so it, it's difficult to tell. I mean, if if I'm honest, I'm a bit disappointed in because the regulators, certainly the FCA, seems behind where it it could be and probably ought to be. I mean, we talked before about there not being very much at all, really, in the business plan. Mm. Um, and uh, and and it's it's sort of drifted into speeches over the last couple of months uh and it's not obvious there's any great sort of strategy behind it yes yeah, so um, Sh- Sh- sheldon mills gave a speech didn't he on yeah. financial inclusion um yeah i suppose it, it didn't strike me as anything particularly new in that that seemed like a sort of cobbling together things that were <laughs> yeah so there was there was, a, there was a lot of things they were sort of already doing um the financial inclusion bit they'd obviously kind of backed backed away from what seemed pretty clear opposition to it being in the financial services and markets bill which they'd they've had before notably at the at the treasury select committee um treasury select committee has now said there should be a uh, a new principle for the fca on financial inclusion so it'll be interesting to see what's in the bill um the other interesting thing about the speech is that it was followed i think about 10 days later by this letter to the fca sent to three and a half thousand lenders um, talking about how they should, you know, treat vulnerable customers, deal with the cost of living crisis and so on and so forth. Normally, you'd have expected that to be trailed in a speech that was only a few days before. And it sort of feels a little bit like everything is happening a bit quickly as the crisis or the the, the kind of perception of the crisis deepens. Um, yeah. So, so it's hard to tell at the moment where it's it, it is going to end up. I mean, we've also talked before about actually customers are probably more vulnerable now than they were two years ago when the FCA introduced all its short-term measures yes. and so on. So, so I think the FCA has got, got itself in a bit of a sort of cleft stick over how it should actually deal with some of this. And I think it's going to be difficult for firms over the next, I mean, this is going to be, go on for a while, isn't it? Um, I think that's a reasonable. You know, it's not a short. <laughs> this isn't a short blip. I mean, the, the inflationary um, wave. Yeah. Um, you know, predictions of it are only kind of ex- are only going in one direction at the moment. Um, so yeah. So short of you know the the war in the you know the war in Ukraine ending next week, which isn't going to happen, I don't think. Um, I think we're in for a, a long period of, of of trying to work out how regulation fits in, really. Well, just it just I, I, I wouldn't talk about the macro aspects of this for, for too long, but you know we've observed the the, the the change in rhetoric, you know, with financial inclusion scroll back three or four years being a major feature in in the direction of travel, the FCA to the point where, as, as, as you know, we've previously observed, it, it kind of seemed to disappear largely off the agenda. It wasn't mentioned in the, the business plan, and to any great degree, certainly cost of living wasn't wasn't mentioned. Um, and, and you know, the FCA appeared, appeared opposed to the idea of a principle, uh, you know, being landed with a principle on financial inclusion. Delighted to have one around diversity, delighted to have one around climate change, but not so much financial inclusion. Um, and that, now we seem to be swinging. <laughs> swinging back to to that being uh, an accepted part of their um, you know of, of, of their mission um 
uh, and it does feel like they're playing catch up. I mean, you, we, we, when we last spoke, the regulatory initiatives grid had just landed, hadn't it? So this is the quarterly um, publication of, of across all sectors and all of the regulatory bodies, the, the agenda for, for, for regulatory change, which I think we've all agreed has been a really useful addition to the sort of the landscape so firms can understand what, what might be coming up. But but one of the, you know one of the things we we've noticed in the past, or you've noticed in particular, because I know it's your your secret hobby of going through it in a fairly forensic way, is just the amount of change quarter to quarter. It's, it's, it's not quarterly, it's six monthly. But um, I know uh, I'm sad, but I'm not. It's not that. Yeah. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if I'm you know I'm telling your secrets out of turn, but but just the amount the amount of change uh if between iterations of the, of the rig is quite significant and um and so we've got some things starting to creep in there our cost of living but your prediction i know when last we spoke was uh actually the, the one in six months time might change quite significantly again um because of the amount of uh because there'll, there'll be new cost of living related activities that make an appearance well, what, do you want to do you want to give us the headlines around the uh, what the uh, what, what 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 was new in the rig and what was in terms of the, the, some of the stats. Oh gosh. Um, so, I mean, there's the, the, so some of the interesting things about it are, you know, there's there's quite a lot coming up on things like ESG this year, which will take quite a lot of work behind the scenes. You know, green taxonomy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Most of the stuff um, we we kind of already know. Um, or we're expecting. So to that extent, there's not a lot that's that's tremendously new. Um, but but I mean, one of the things I'd like to see is is a, a sort of more um, more information around the evolving shape of it. Uh, so you know, how many I I had to do. Those who read my blog will know I had to do manual counts of. Um, how many initiatives there were and how many were new and how many had been updated or delayed. Uh, and, you know, and my maths isn't that great. So it would be really nice to have some of those stats in. I mean, there's nothing that you weren't um, you, you weren't kind of expecting. Yeah. Uh, I, I, but I do think the the natural turnover bit is is um, uh, is is fairly predictable and is going to carry on for a while the the general tendency of regulators to try and fill up fill up all your capacity all your resources um without taking much account of things that might happen the event driven stuff that you don't know about yet so when things like the cost of living crisis um the war in ukraine and so on come along you automatically have to shift things out to the right uh and you know because the planning round does just doesn't take account of any of that it tends to kind of use up all the available resource yes yes yeah no, and, and 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 um I, I, my expectation is there will end up being quite a few moving parts because of uh uh because some changes and tweaks that that are were put forward in the name of um lessening the impact of of the cost of living crisis um, it's interesting that uh, you know the, at the top political level, you know, much of the response appears to be, and I, and I guess there's an overlap here with sort of you know, housing shortages or the perceived, perceived sense of, of people not being able to get on the property ladder. But but that that we, we've clearly we've clearly moved on far enough from sort of 2009 that that the idea of having you know 
larger mortgages relative to <laughs> relative to income, lowering the affordability bar, it seems to be politically attractive. Um, well, I mean, I I think it's it's always been a bit of a tension because you know it's, I can't I can't remember how many right to buy schemes we've had over the years, um, but I'm running out of fingers. Yeah. Um, what I'm what I'm less clued up on, and, and you know, economists will know much better than me, is how much impact they actually have. But it, but, but I think, it, you know, we've shown that the the limitation on loan to income as a you know high loan to income four and a half times, I think it is, as a proportion of yeah. your lending is enough by itself um, for them to come out. I mean, it's interesting timing. Um, it brings them into the spotlight a bit more, um, and I think. That's a good thing overall, because I think they were a bit in the shadows through COVID when they could have been doing much more overt coordination between, F, you know, between FCA and PRA. Um, but but it does it, it does interestingly show that they're, I suppose, um, fairly immune to the politics of, you know, being politicised in any kind of obvious shape or form because they're clearly going ahead with their own timetable, which makes sense in their terms. Um, but I don't think um, I don't think any kind of you know PR guru would have been yeah. recommending you know you're seen to be relaxing in inverted commas all those controls on on kind of mortgage lending at this particular time. Yeah, no quite. Um, you you mentioned it briefly passing you, 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 when we were when we were referencing the um, uh, the objectives the FCA is likely to get in the future regulatory framework. So we are expecting the financial services bill. Get that legislative yeah. process well and truly underway any time now. I think pretty uh, yeah is my understanding. So that that will that will give us the draft bill that we could start we could start start pouring over. I mean, we won't go over the sort of the headlines of what it's likely to 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 include. We discussed the consultations of that of that previously. It, it did it did put me in mind though, and this is this is something actually you raised. I noticed in relation to the regulatory initiatives grid, you buy now, pay later. Yes, is as I was what were you, two three years from that uh, that's probably longer than that being flagged as a priority area needs to be brought within the regulatory perimeter more more effectively supervised etc. Um, and and basically we're still waiting for the for the for the legislation to do that aren't, aren't we? And I think the regulatory initiatives grid is expecting that. It, it, meaningful supervision probably won't start until twenty twenty four or the earliest. Oh yes, no, I I think that's always been. I mean, we've, we have talked about it before, and I think that's always been the timescale. Um, what, what the grid says this time around is that the secondary legislation needed to bring it in, presumably after the financial services and markets yeah. bill has gone through. They're going to lay in, I think it's Q2, Q3 next year. So, and then the FCA will consult on the regime. So, you know, I, I think we're probably talking back half of 2023. Um, so it's you know it, it's a very it'll be a very different industry. I see Martin Lewis has picked up on this timing. Um, yeah. Delay. No, it's not a delay because it's part of the process, but it is a long time. Yeah. yeah. Um. And you know the 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 world will have moved on by then. I mean, I do, I do wish at the very least that the authorities and it's I think this is everyone involved could be more transparent and realistic about what the timeframes were for for these things actually making a difference. Um, yeah. So it's very easy to make the announcement about buy now, pay later, or whatever it is. But actually, if we're talking three years down the line, people deserve to know that upfront. 
Well, quite even further. Yeah, I think I think that's probably true, isn't it? The um, you know, the, we'll, we'll write we'll write a, a you know paper, several papers, studying the problem and identifying the harms. Um, but we won't necessarily call out the fact it's going to take five years, probably in elapsed time, before anything's actually going to happen about this. Which is, I mean, you know, that, that's that's lawmaking takes time. I, I know, but then you've probably got best part of two years worth of consultation and rulemaking to follow it. So uh, yes, uh, now I just, I just so so in, in linking that back to the um, the, the financial services and markets bill encapsulating the um, future regulatory framework, I think, you know, timescales around that will bear watching. Um, so what else have we seen over the past months or so? Um, well, I mentioned as well as a. Did you make so Jessica Russo is the FCA's data. She got a great job title, data information and intelligence officer. Um, uh, I'd, I'd love to be an intelligence officer. Um, I just I don't think I'm qualified. Um, gave a speech on te technology innovation and then various dimensions of it actually. Uh, so yeah, we, the, the initiatives, the regulator is it, it trumpets around uh, working in partnership with with industry, yeah. the, the sandbox, sandbox process, the tech sprints, etc. Um, which is quite interesting. And I, I'd, I'd like your view actually of how, you know, whether you think the regulator is doing the right things and doing enough in, in that space. Um, and then she also talked about some of the internal transformation stuff, which we can come on to. But uh, are you are you a fan of um, sandboxes and sprints? Um, am I a fan of sandboxes <laughs> and sprints? Uh, I think I think in a qualified way, yes. Um, I, I think the I think I mean I've been involved in a couple of of the tech sprints over the last few years, and they you know I find them great events, um, particularly the kind of the one on digital regulatory reporting back yes. at the end of 2017, um, which is an extended two week one. I'm always a bit disappointed with the follow up on sprints, um, so you know it, it it they seem to be great in themselves, and then I mean I, I think they're there's a there are issues about resources inside the regulator, and I think there are also questions about how engaged the 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 big core functions are with taking these forward, or whether they are little niches of activity um, that that are slightly detached. Um, in terms of sandboxes, I think um, I think they're a good idea, provided you you're very clear about what they are and what they aren't. So, so I think the help that regulators give firms in a sandbox to, you know, s develop things and and sort of play safely, as you might as you might term it, um, needs to be really quite separate from any subsequent authorizations process. So, so the fact you've had a great time working in the sandbox is a is a different is an entirely different process and entirely different set of judgments yeah. from. Um, from going through authorizations, yes. and while you'd expect those firms to have, you know, pretty good applications because it benefited from help on the yes. way through, it needs to be, you know, a core regulatory judgment, and you also don't want to disadvantage firms that haven't been able to get into the sandbox yes. in the first place. So, so you need to draw the lines, I think, and I, I, I sort of wish that the FCA was a bit clearer about those sorts of principles. 
Well, uh, Alicia, Alicia was very clear about uh, the sort of the internal transformation piece uh, around data. Um, I say clear. They, 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 she described the digital unified intelligence environment um, that they're building, which sounds sounds impressive, um, to deliver automation, risk triggers, insights to authorization, supervision and enforcement, leveraging advanced analytics to deliver proactive intelligence, triaging of risks and automation in casework. I've read that out, so I didn't want to mess it up. So um, a, a lot of a lot of that language would have been used um, almost 20 years ago when the FCA was taking on board mortgage and general insurance yes. regulation and yes. doubling the number of firms That's and so on. Um, so so the language itself is not is not that new. What hopefully is new is is the kind of the level of technology involved um, in actually you know enabling the regulator to. You know, more sophisticated things at volume far more quickly. Um, I, I think the key thing here would be the data strategy that they're, you know, they promised to publish later this year. Later this year, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, and that was my my reaction reading 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 that out. that that um, <clears throat> buzzword bingo sentence out was uh, was let's see what the data strategy says in terms of what uh, specific examples actually uh, they're going to give in in relation to to those different areas of advancement. Um, okay, that's, that's enough on speeches. Uh, uh, we've we've seen quite. I mean, relative to some months recently, we've seen quite quite a, quite a lot of uh, output from regulators and and in, and indeed from from government. So, um, the uh, HM Treasury issued a policy statement, uh, sort of a statement of intent, really, around uh, regulation of critical third parties in financial services, um, which is, I mean, it, it's quite a high level statement I, to my view so, it's, it's, so it is really a you know statement of intent more than more than specifics but it does it does seem to be edging towards the idea that the um you know the, the big the critical service providers the amazon web services the googles of this world might somehow get indirectly pulled into the regulatory framework is that is that your reading of it um uh, i i i think it's at one level Depending on what you mean by regulatory framework, I think at one level it becomes unavoidable because of the amount of data that regulated firms now have in the cloud and um, all the things we've talked about in the past and doubtless will do again in, in the context of operational resilience uh, and so on and so forth. So all the you know, all the consultations that PRN and the FCA have done have have raised this as an issue, and now we're getting the Treasury's um, sort of policy take on it, um, which seems it's pretty clearly written actually, and it's only effectively about five or six pages. Mm. So I'd recommend people have a look at it, but it's pretty clear about giving the regulators new powers in respect of these. There's no authorizations process, so they're not they don't become regulated in that sense. No. But but you know, but it is about um, you know, powers to require information, powers to kind of have responsible, you know, require these firms to have responsible people they can talk to, um, all sorts of things about being able to kind of monitor and audit and, and so on and so forth. Some of those, I mean, the suggestions about some of how the um, the regulators might do this in, well, in, in the Treasury document, but also in the consultation papers, and they've talked about pooled audits and and skilled persons and investigators and so on. Um, but at some level, it does mean that the Bank of England, PRA, FCA, 
become accountable for the judgments made off the back of all of these things. Um, and, and that's another, I think it's inevitable, um, but but yeah. it's another it's another kind of ratchet up, if you like, yeah. in terms of how much regulators need to be expert in. Yeah, no, that's I think that's a perfect way of addressing it. I think it is inevitable. You, you, you can't they can't avoid can't avoid it. Um, but I think positioning it as a sort of just you know it's not it's not just a a gradual evolution of existing areas of regulatory uh, expertise. It's quite a big departure onward argue which is going to cause stresses and strains obviously that's, that's also policy statements so as direction of travel oh. territory so we'll have to see I, I think it's also really interesting in that you know we're essentially talking about big us mm. firms um yeah. so the position of the us regulators is obviously key in all this as well I, I i pretty much know work has been going on to kind of line everyone up on operational resilience but actually it's it's not done until it's done no, and no. if we have a, you know, increasingly, there'll be all sorts of discussions about, you know, which, you know, which firms can you put your data with and where do they, um, you know, where do they have their servers and et cetera, et cetera. What can you, what can and can't you require them to do? Uh, we are at the beginning of this, I think, rather than, yeah, any further, yeah, you know, uh, we're not yeah, very far along. It's probably a good example of, uh, of um, you know, what, what the, all, all the regulators and the government are majoring on in a sort of Brexit world, isn't it? Which is international standards and being part of the setting of high international standards, not the EU level clearly, but uh, at, 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 at sort of the IOSCOs and Basel levels. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so this is a a good test case of of how that international rule setting might uh, might operate in practice in a relatively new area. Um, uh, what else have we seen? So, uh, oh, there was a. There, uh, I haven't had a great deal of time to go through it, but there's an, a, a, a fine was handed down by the FCA on JLT, which was a, a I think one of their specialty broking businesses. I think it's now part of the Marsh Group. But obviously, this goes this goes back a few years, um, but it but it seems to relate to uh, poor financial anti financial crime controls that enabled a situation where. Uh, money was able to flow into the corrupt Colombian officials' um, hands um, uh, 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 in in a way that the the FCA feels the, uh, the 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 regulated entity should have should have been able to identify and do something about. Um, I mean, we, we had a discussion before Christmas because I think the FCA handed down a couple of actually one of them was a court court case, but there were there were, there were a couple of yeah, findings and fines in, in on financial crime AML related issues uh, at that point and you know we were wondering to what extent does this, does this, does this indicate uh, 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 there's a potential surge of these coming down the line that hasn't really materialized i guess this is another one but they, they all said they all seem to be sort of quite independent in terms of the circumstances and indeed the timing so um yeah i think it's difficult to draw conclusions that 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 uh, there's necessarily going to be a lot more of these but uh, but nevertheless there's, 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 there's been enough that it should be pretty high on everyone's internal radar from a compliance perspective. Yes, I mean, I think it's also interesting just, you know, looking at it today that, you know, that this relates to um, stuff that happened between 2013 and 2017. So, you know, just, just as another reminder of what the real time scales of regulation, you know, so often are. Yeah. 
Um, you know, we are talking several years after the event, so, you know, no SMCR involved yeah. in this um, and so on. So it's, it's uh, you know, it, there is there are these substantial lag times. Uh, once the digital unified intelligence environment is up and running, that, that might change that. No, maybe not. Um, no, I think. Uh, I, I think the legal. I think the legal <laughs> stuff will always be a bit different. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, <clears throat> I'm being facetious. Uh, what else have we seen? Oh, well, the story. Uh, it's still mainly mainly no notable for its it, it hitting the press where uh, at all. It was um, it being reported that Credit Suisse was being had been put on the FCA's watch list. Yes. Um, which, which basically. So the FT had seen a letter, apparently. Yeah, well, quite, quite. I mean, I mean, there are allegedly you know, twenty-five or so, twenty, twenty-five firms on the watch list at any one point in time. But I, I thought actually it kind of triggered. Maybe we should use the opportunity of this podcast briefly just to talk about what the watch list means and how it's used, and um, you know, I guess uh, the extent to which we think it's uh, it serves its purpose, but. Uh, I mean, it's, I mean, essentially, it, it is it is the naughty step, isn't it? And it's and it's you are on a very short leash, and you are in continuous dialogue, pretty much, uh, often weekly um, dialogue with your regulator, uh, with the supervisor, is a supervisory team. So, uh, and they'll keep you on it until they're satisfied that the root cause issues that got you on there uh, have been resolved. So, often goes in hand with sort of other reviews and action plans and then skilled person reviews potentially to provide assurance etc um so um i mean uh, gavin is it, is it a good mechanism i mean it, it, it's 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 so intensive from the regulatory regulators point of view that there's, there's very much a finite number of firms they could ever they could ever treat in this way isn't it isn't that yeah true? so i mean so i think it is i think it's a it's a really good mechanism um it, it's its ultimate value depends on how um how intelligently you operate it. Um, uh, so there's a lot of judgment involved in putting firms on it and there's an and subjecting them effectively to a lot of a lot of scrutiny internally. There are, you know, divisional and department ones below the FCA or the PRA organizational ones. Um, so getting deciding who to put on the watch list is a is quite a big call for a supervision manager because you get a lot you get access to expertise, but actually you get an awful lot of reporting requirements um, around it. So, it, you know, it, it's quite, um, you know, there's, there's a, there are some timing questions about when you do that. Um, but but essentially it mostly works pretty well, but, but it's not the only thing you rely on. So if you're not on the watch list, there are, you know, there are examples. Northern Rock actually is a bit of an example of, you know, there was an initial decision, it was relatively low risk, and then everyone was focusing on the watch list firms. Yes. And even though the situation kept changing with Northern Rock, no one got to it because other things were higher priority. Yes. So so there's a risk, there's always a risk of kind of, oh, these are our biggest set of problems. We focus on those. If you take too much away or don't question the judgments you've made in in coming to that list, then something at some point will blow up. Yes, I think that's 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 one of the key takeaways. It's not a. a, a it is very judgment cost. driven. It's not. It's not. A, it's not by definition a particularly dynamic thing. So you don't get off easily. You don't get no. on easily. Um, 
you know, for firms that are in that spotlight, then then oh, you know the ones I've worked with that have been through that process that they've, <laughs> they've had, as real change has ensued, it's been unavoidable uh, because of the level of scrutiny. But um, it, it, yeah, if you I, if I think it's looking it's, at the wrong firms. Then... Yeah, I also think it's important to kind of um, uh, manage the manage the scrutiny, so there can be a temptation for everyone to feel they have to have an opinion. Um, and so if a firm goes on the watch list, all of a sudden there's a kind of um, there can be a sort of a, a you know a committee of experts who keep asking for different yeah um, you know different bits of information about it and suggesting different things. So so chairing those bodies um, both both in real life and sort of managing yeah. information flows is yeah. is actually quite a skill. Yeah. Um, well. I'll just end the discussion on the watch list saying the, the only thing on my watch list this last month has been Top Gun Maverick, so um, that's my priority focus. Right, um, FCA produced a, a, a write-up, a web page on GameStop, which obviously is a US event, if, uh, for those of you who remember, I guess about a little over a year ago, potentially. Um, I lose track, but but uh, listeners will remember the, the wild trading fluctuations and the, uh, the Robin Hood um uh trading platform as well um and the hedge fund that fell over and uh, uh due to short selling uh etc cetera, etc cetera. so it was a big story in the world and then the FCA produced a write-up on it which at one level is quite it's quite entertaining um uh i mean it's it 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 it, it culminates really just with the, the statement that you know this was activity driven by hype and fear of missing out fomo and um, and it's fine, but um, you know you need to be an experienced investor, and and this was, this was problematic because it pulled in too many people that were um, not sophisticated enough to to, to to understand to understand the risk. So you know I, I think from the FCA's point of view, they would just draw a straight line from that to their their existing policy developments around um, high risk consumer investments and um, and and how they're addressing uh, addressing a, a potential GameStop type scenario. I was going to finish with a couple of. A quick things just from the Bank Bank of England. I say this has been quite a heavy month in terms of new new publications, not not all policy and 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 the rest of it, but just just um, uh, analysis pieces actually. So uh, so one of one is the the Bank of England published a resolvability assessment as they called it, where they but they looked basically a, a paper where they looked at the eight largest banks and asked the question, do, did we think that they would, those banks would be able to fail safely? It's, it's, it's too big to fail thing, isn't it? You know, are they, yeah. are they going to, um, are, are we capable of resolving these banks in a way that wouldn't cause severe market dislocation, customer detriment, et cetera? Um, and they, it's a bit like reading an internal audit report. There's a, you know, you can pass or you can have shortcomings or you can have needs enhancements type, type language. No, nobody, so nobody failed for one thing. So there's there not a pass fail type test, was it? Um, it's a, We're on a spectrum. Yeah, spectrum. Yeah, um, uh, which is uh, I don't know. I don't know whether that's the right answer. I know, I know in one of your blogs you were contrasting it with say the approach of the Fed, which is, I mean, they fail people, don't they? They uh... yeah, they did. They did just fail people. So so I think it's a sort of a there's a conceptual um, divide um, across you know across the Atlantic Ocean here somewhere. Um, I'm shocked to uh, hear that. Uh, I mean, I, you know, it, it's it's quite interesting. I mean, I always think too big to fail is is really hard. Is one of the hardest mm. things to have um, on your list, and I'm always a bit skeptical that 
will ever fully crack it as opposed to make firms um you know more straightforward to resolve but it's it's always going to be difficult given their size and complexity yeah. uh I, I, but but you know it's it's nice to see the work there um I, I think the picture is is a bit more complex and that they, you know, none of them failed because actually there's quite a few that have various shortcomings and and so on. Um, and I think the question, the other question for me is whether if, if this was a US regulator, whether any of the UK banks would have failed. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, that that's kind of a bit down the line. We're a long way from international jurisdictions um, having consistent approaches even yeah. on kind of globally significant firms. Yeah, you might, I mean, you might see one over there. I mean, the, 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 the time on the Bank of England tradition, of course, was that, uh, you know, you'd be, you'd be called into the to the governor's yeah. office for a cup of tea and a biscuit and a, given a telling off. Um, uh, 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 you're kind of nice, all behind closed doors. The apocryphal raised eyebrows. The raised eyebrow, that's, that's it, that's it. And, um, and you know, it's, 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 is that is that potentially going on in the background here while, while, while the... Uh, the slightly more anemic presentation of uh, in, in in the public written results um, presents one view. I think there's a sort of it, it goes back to the partnership thing a little bit. I think there is a default of um, you know we we want to work with the industry unless there's a really good reason why not to. Whereas I think I you know I get the impression some other regulators are much more yeah. um, we're the regulator, you're the you're the regulated firm. Unless there's a really good reason for us to partner, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it is you know it, it it is interesting. And if you're if you're a regulator in the UK, you're doing all sorts of different things with firms, and you may have with big firms, you may have half a dozen different types of relationship going on at the same time, um, and with the same and, and with the same supervisor. So you're putting different. If you're a supervisor, you're putting different hats on. to dealing with the same people, and it, you know it's it's not. It's not straightforward, but I think it's you know I think the philosophy in behind is quite interesting. Um, final item I was going to cover, and I'd be remiss of me on a, a glorious sunny day like like today if I didn't go down this route is uh, um, the the Bank of England issued their latest uh, climate stress test scenario for uh, banks and insurers to to to, to play around with. Um, uh, and you know it's not the first one they've done. Um, I don't really get delve, delve into the detail. Like it's, it's, it's notable because um, it sort of coincided with the story of uh, HSBC's head of sustainable investment. I, I'm messing up his job title, but um, being suspended after he yes. made, made a speech where he, he potentially was less than um, less than a message around, around climate change. And one of the course, one of the things he, he observed on was that you know this, this climate stress test does indeed produce a, a whacking rate stress but you, you get that you get there not because of rising temperatures but because the, the it's built around the idea there's a massive credit crisis <laughs> that is you know, caused by climate change somehow some way so uh um yeah so so yes i i i you are we, are we at the point gavin where you know you, you can't be skeptical about about esg I, we're seeing you know the likes of black rock are starting to downplay their Sustainable investment credentials, aren't they? I think if you read, if you if you if you, if you read, read the press, it's you know we we shouldn't prioritise green credentials over you know, the ability to make money for our investors and and things like that. So uh, yeah, um, 
I don't know. It's a big but, I mean, we're going. It it feels to me like we're going through a whole series of phases, um, sometimes overlapping with each other and happening fairly quickly. Of, of kind of, you know, how important is this? Um, the geopolitics of of, um, energy and yes. um, you know, Russian gas and so on is not irrelevant here. Uh, you know what what is. It, you know what is socially responsible, et cetera, et cetera. Um, arms manufacturers, mm. come, you know, are in yeah. or are right, depending. Uh, so we're going, we're going through all this. I, I think, I think with the with the environmental bit, um, you know, there is something about actually just working out exactly what we mean, um, how we're going to measure it, and and what's it, you know, what's included, what isn't. I think regulators are in that process at the moment. Um, yes, taxonomies are. I mean, it's not, but but it's it's moving, but it's not it's not all moving in the same direction. Um, yeah, I think skepticism is a bad thing. Actually, you know, we should always ask the question. Well, I think my 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 primary piece of area of skepticism in relation to this is whether or not politicians ultimately decide there are more important things in life and uh, and, uh, and and so you know the priority becomes deprioritized so so, so like for me it's, it's just wrapped up into the the the, the ever-present it seems these days sense that that regulatory priorities are going to be driven by political requirements um so i think if uh, if climate change is not a vote winner then i think it's uh, <laughs> it's potentially a uh, Going to be a, yeah, I mean, I think I think what the regulators will do is point. they will look at the, you know, what it means for the direction and stability of markets. I mean, but they're they're worried about, um, you know, complete shifts in asset values and and things like that triggered by whatever it doesn't need to be a massive credit crisis. It could be something else. Yeah. So I think they're genuinely and legitimately worried about that, but I think they've got a way to go before they're able to kind of calibrate it and do anything meaningful, properly meaningful about it in terms of their supervision of you know portfolios and um, and their you know their ma their management of the regulatory relationship with firms. I mean, I think it's it's very much uh, I hate using the word journey now, but it is one of those. Yeah. Well. Given the price of petrol and the train strikes, I'm not sure journey is the word <laughs> to, to, to use, but um, thank you, Gavin. Uh, we'll wrap it up there. There's lots of things we'll be talking about in, in future uh, podcasts. Um, we are expecting final rules for the consumer duty in July. That's what yep. the initiative squid suggests. So uh, so I'm not sure that will be in time for us to um, to include our next podcast, but, but we will certainly get to that as soon as it becomes available. Um, thank you for joining us. Uh, as ever, if you want more information on anything we've talked about, then the Grant Thornton uh, website is a good place to start. Uh, we have our regulatory handbook and uh, write-ups on the priorities of both FCA and PRA there, for instance, um, amongst other sort of thematic pieces. Um, we will be back in a month's time. Uh, you got any more weddings to attend, Gavin? Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Um, not for a while. <laughs> You're, 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 I couldn't, I can't keep up with you. Your social life is, 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 is off the charts. Um, well, I'll, uh, I'll let you know if I, I buy any axes uh, in the meantime. Um, thank you again, everyone, and we'll speak to you next month. Bye.